We've got some industry updates for the morning. Tyler, let's go ahead and jump right in. First up, Uber, which has already expanded its footprint from ride hailing to food delivery with its massively popular Uber Eats, is adding more to its food delivery network. So this is some reporting out of TechCrunch. Uber announced it has plans to acquire Drizzly, which is an alcohol delivery service, for $1.1 billion. The deal is planned to close in the first half of 2021, and by then, Drizzly's marketplace should be built directly into the Uber Eats app. So if you'd like to order some alcohol on demand, it will be an integrated part of the Uber Eats experience. Uh, Apparently, Drizzly still plans on running its own app for now as well, though that's subject to change. And at its last count, Drizzly's services were reaching 1,400 cities across North America and most recently expanded into the Atlanta Metroplex by partnering with local marketplaces and liquor stores to deliver alcohol locally. And this echoes Uber Eats' delivery model as well of working with existing brick-and-mortar merchants to source their stock and and basically act as solely the delivery arm for the end user. So since its start in 2012, Drizzly has raised just shy of $120 million. And I wanted to play some sentiments here from the company. Uh, I've got a quick quote from Drizzly co-founder and CEO Corey Reyes, I believe it is, or Relis, uh, R-E-L-L-A-S. Here he is explaining Drizzly's choice to sell to Uber uh, and you know some of his thoughts on why he felt it was time. We'll go ahead and play that quote and then give some more context. Uh, two real reasons, though. I, I think the first one is when you hear Dara talk about the vision for Uber, about a world where not only can you get food delivered very quickly, but now alcohol, and then you throw in pharmacy uh, and multiple other categories in the future. I want to live in that world. I believe in that world. And I think very much Drizzly could accelerate the path to providing that consumer experience that we all want and deserve. On the other side of of why now, uh, the market is so nascent for alcohol delivery, for e-commerce overall. We've spent the last eight years building the infrastructure to bring this particular category online. And we have a big vision. We want to be a household name. We want to be synonymous with alcohol. And while we believe we could get there by ourselves over the coming uh, five or 10 years, this is really an acceleration. And this gives us the ability to move quickly with the platform and the technology and the scale and the expertise that Uber brings in a way that very few others can. So here's my quick take on this, Tyler. Uh, Well, I guess first I want to just add a little bit more context. So many U.S. states have added and removed alcohol delivery since the pandemic hit, and it's really varied from state to state. Alaska, for example, allowed alcohol delivery starting in April. Then they rescinded the move in November. Georgia still has active alcohol delivery, barring spirits. Illinois extended its laws to allow pre-mixed cocktails for delivery as well. Uh, New Mexico, however, hasn't allowed alcohol deliveries at all since the pandemic hit. And in Texas, the alcohol delivery waiver that was passed, which had to be coupled with food purchases, is still only temporary and awaits a permanent extension later in 2021. So as you can see, lots of different takes on how to approach alcohol delivery. So my main question here is how viable 
Is this kind of move going to be across the U.S.? And is it scalable for Uber and Drizzly with such a decentralized approach to alcohol deliveries? Or, you know, maybe a better question is, is this something that they can invest a lot of potential energy, resources, and capital into if they can't even get a um, blanket approach across all 50 states? Or even in the states that do allow alcohol delivery, all of the uh, subsects of how you can order are very granular, very different. In some, you have to have food. In some, you can do spirits. In some, you can do pre-mixed. In some, you can't do anything at all. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just so decentralized. I feel like that's going to impact the success of Drizzly in an Uber Eats model. And on top of that... Uh, because the regulatory aspect of it is so up in the air, I wonder how Uber and Drizzly plan on reshaping that in their favor. Uh, if we look to Prop 22, for example, Uber and other um, gig platforms invested millions of dollars in a uh, basically a campaign to convince voters to vote for Prop 22 to exempt gig workers from a uh, sort of a existing labor rights and labor law framework. And that paid off greatly for them. They now have a model to uh, bring Prop 22 to different states. And I think they'll probably find some inspiration from that for something like lobbying to allow for alcohol delivery in all 50 states. So I wonder if Uber is going to muscle its lobbying operation much like it did with Prop 22. Uh, the other main point I wanted to highlight is that even with the pandemic, Uber has still not made a profit. Uh, its most recent earning report, which was in Q3, showed that the company's stocks rose about 15% because of that Prop 22 win in California, and that was the highest jump since it announced acquiring Postmates. Uh, its Uber Eats services grew 190% in Q3 with a net revenue of $1.14 billion, which sounds great. And yet, even with all that growth, the company is still out $1.09 billion for Q3 and still have not cracked a profit. So I find this move unlikely to push Uber to profit, especially because it's so decentralized from state to state. And rather, I think it's just going to continue to um, push Uber's market share as high as possible as their continued uh, funding from capital-rich investors um, it just flows in. And it seems like this imbalance will just continue to propel Uber forward and keep it hanging on for dear life uh, because, you know, they are still building new HQs. They're expanding. They're obviously buying companies and making strategic investments here, but they've yet to crack a profit. So it seems like profit isn't really the core goal. I mean, I'm sure they think profit would be nice, but uh, clearly Uber has been able to survive without it year over year. Uh, big part of that is their investors, but I think it's also because their business model isn't really profit. It's more how can we disrupt the space so much that we become inevitable and uh, continue to be subsidized in many ways to exist and uh, you know fund uh, our services via investors. And then my final questions to pose here that I don't really have answers or, or analysis for, but that I think are important to uh, think about and hopefully find some answers for moving forward are things like, how will this impact local bars and restaurants who continue to struggle under COVID? Are they going to be happy to uh, you know bring alcohol delivery into their portfolio? How does that impact their operations? Do they need to hire more people to manage a potentially uh, you know major influx of new customers who only want their services out the door 
and not in uh, you know the brick and mortar space and is this going to impact their sales positively or negatively because we see a lot of mixed reviews on things like DoorDash uh, and Uber Eats some companies love the fact that there is an integrated platform to uh, get them delivery customers and many others see it as um, sort of a, a means to an end but a you know, a, a solitary option out of a, uh, you know, set of choices that doesn't really benefit the business at all. Either they take on delivery themselves and incur those costs, which they don't find feasible, or they outsource to a platform like Uber Eats and DoorDash, which eat a lot of their data, eat a lot of their profits, take a lot of fees for these deliveries. And because the consumer has become so accustomed to that convenience, uh, it's not a trend that seems to be going away. So businesses feel like they have to expand here. And if these are their only options, is this a positive, right? That's, that's basically the main point here. Last main point, Tyler, and then I'm curious your thoughts. There's a lot here to unpack, but uh, Uber completed its acquisition of Postmates in December of 2020, which is a pretty big consolidation of the uh, already limited number of high profile players in the uh, you know platform and gig work economy so i wonder how does this consolidation plus uber's continued market expansion by bringing folks like drizzly on for more niche styles of food delivery how does that set up delivery infrastructure moving forward does this mean that we're going to see prices continue to rise because of less competition do the other folks out there like grubhub or doordash uh you know pose any kind of threat to Uber, uh, or do they all benefit from these prices slightly going up? And, um, you know, is everyone's business model kind of the same? Survive for as long as possible until the uh, market has been disrupted so much that there's no way that we can uh, not exist, basically. So those are my thoughts. Tyler, anything that stands out to you about this move by Uber? Yeah, I think that you know that throughout this entire... um this entire time, what's been the most curious to me and what I watch with the most interest is what trends and what things take off and um, become a larger part of our society during this time that stick around to become just a natural part of the fabric afterwards. And I think one of the things is going to be just that expectation that when we want things, they can be brought to us. And that being a thing that that becomes kind of just a natural part of life before. I had never had groceries delivered or even did, you know, a, an online order pickup of groceries before COVID-19. And I, I had never had alcohol delivered before COVID-19, things like that. But I do see that becoming a larger part of just our normal lifestyles moving forward. Now that we've experienced it uh, out of a necessity, uh, it, it can become one of just the modern conveniences of living in the time that we do. And so with that being the case, this seems like a strategic move by Uber, maybe to try to get out in front of that a little bit and say, if this is going to be a regular part of things, we want the company that has been as much a part of this as anybody as part of our stable of, uh, you know, of business offerings and, and things like that. And so I think from my perspective, this is Uber getting out in front of what they believe will be a cultural trend moving forward. And to my knowledge, um, unless I'm wrong about this, I, I don't think, and maybe this is just a Texas thing, but I don't think Amazon can deliver alcohol or anything like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe their partnership with Whole Foods allows them to, but I think that would probably just be beer and wine at least in Texas anyways. Again, uh, Texas 
our uh, our alcohol laws are archaic and uh, just ignore us over here. But with that being the case, uh, I, I do wonder if this does help maybe Uber find some market share in an area where there is some to be had in kind of a new and emerging marketplace for for delivery alcohol. So that's kind of where my head goes immediately when I when I hear this story. It's funny you mentioned that just to uh, answer your question. It looks like Amazon can do some alcohol deliveries, but it's in very select cities. So you have to enter your zip code to see if Amazon Prime now uh, will bring alcohol to you. And, you know, I think that uh, highlights the same point we've already mentioned, which is just this is so decentralized. And the fact that it's different from city to city or state to state, county to county is going to be an inhibitor for growth, in my opinion, for services like this. And because of how touchy alcohol laws are and how how much work it's really going to take to lobby to get something that's more universal, um, I, I think this could pose, you know, if not a threat, at least just not really see many returns from this service. And I wonder if it's worth the, uh, you know, billion dollars that Uber forked over. Yeah, that that will be interesting. I wonder if there's not more popular sentiment now than there has been in the past because of, like you mentioned, uh, a lot of states have, you know, okay, now you can deliver alcohol. Now you can't. Now bars can give you, you know, cocktails to go. Now they can't. They've kind of flip-flopped kind of back and forth on a lot of alcohol laws, and we've seen that a lot here in Texas. But it's almost an acknowledgement that the laws that were in place were never there because they made sense in the first place. They just protected special interest groups in, in our state. And so for me anyways, what this has illustrated is that there is some popular opinion growing now amongst the population just to reconsider things that they'd never really considered before. Like if you've never stopped to consider why you can't buy uh, any liquor at all in the state of Texas on Sunday and you can't buy beer and wine before noon on Sunday, there's no good reason for it. Like there's just quite literally not. It's just that that's the way TABC has decided to have some of these laws. And so when you start to think about it and when they're actually kind of brought into the public sphere, then you start to question, maybe things shouldn't be this way. And I think more now than ever, because people are invested in making sure their local brewery stays open, because people are, are interested in still supporting their local bar, even if they can't go and be there, uh, still supporting them in a safe way. I think people maybe are more aware now of what it takes to uh, deliver alcohol because of some of these archaic laws that exist in many states across our country that I'm hoping at least there's a groundswell of support to uh, make some more uh, lenient um, allowances for you know something like a drizzly and and other things that would come along with it. Yeah, agreed. And my final note is I'm curious as to whether the timing for this is going to play to Uber's advantage or not because it doesn't sound like this would be fully integrated to the Uber Eats platform until uh, you know midway through 2021. Uh, I assume they're going to try to get it out as early as possible, but let's say it's not out till June or July. By then, do we expect uh, you know most of the vaccines that are going to be administered to be administered, or at least you know the population that is sold on getting the vaccine? Uh, you know, will they be vaccinated by then? Will things be open in a more traditional fashion? Will bars and clubs and your local breweries be uh, you know running like normal? And I say normal in quotes. And if so, 
what is the value of alcohol delivery? Is that something that people are going to continue to integrate into their lifestyle? Does it meet the same kind of uh, you know convenience need that food delivery or ride hailing does? I think we're just going to have to wait and see how much that appetite for alcohol really is here in the States. 